I usually teach in series. I'm on a series on healing. And this would have been uh, lesson 11, but I'm, I'm taking a diversion since it's 4th of July. I think it's appropriate, don't you? So we'll, we'll go come back to our uh, healing series next week. Today I want to talk about taking a stand for God in America. How many know we need to? So uh, really, uh, with the comments I make today, which hopefully won't be too long, I, uh, I want to stoke your prayer life and encourage you to regularly pray for this nation because we desperately need it. How many hear what I just said? And you know, I read an article yesterday. You know, people, we may not realize it. If you don't travel a lot, you don't, you don't understand. Well, you can if you read, but, but a lot of nations look to America uh, for guidance, and, and we are an example of freedom, and they long to be free the way we are. And, and you don't know how free you are until you travel a little bit. Did you hear what I just said? And, and I've been, you know, I've been over 40 uh, short-term missions trips. I, I looked, I've, I've spent probably about a year of days somewhere else other than America in my life. Just all over all these trips all over the place. And uh, yeah, there's times I, as, as, as awful as sometimes you think it may be here and as many problems as you think we may have, you just don't know until you travel how, how blessed you are. And honestly, there are times I thought, you know, I think I'll just come back and kiss the ground because I live here, because I could have been raised somewhere else. And that's the reason that people are, you know, beating the, the borders of our nation down to get here, because there's something here they don't have. And, and y'all, we have been given the responsibility of protecting what God has given us. Yes or no? So the gift of freedom is fragile. And you have to keep it. And if we don't keep it now, it's, it's going to be lost because our freedoms are... Uh, being challenged, and you know, there's a there's a there's a scripture that we often quote. The context of that scripture is the people of God uh, had forsaken God, worshipped idols in the Old Testament, and they have forsaken God's laws, God's ways, God's standards, God's ordinances, and uh, and they they just did what they wanted to do, regardless of what God had said, of what the prophets God said uh, sent said, and were doing their own thing. And God said to them. 2 Chronicles 7, 13, when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain. See, God responds when a people group decides to disobey his, his, his rules of conduct. And he said, when I shut up heaven, there's no rain. Or command locusts to, to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. If my people call by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. It's, it's sort of like this. Jesus said, the thief comes, John 10, 10, to steal, kill, destroy. And I look at it like this. There are, there, there are laws that are set in motion. Seed time, harvest, day, night, summer, winter. I mean, no, those things are, are continuous. And there's also a law of blessing and cursing. And then the Apostle Paul tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, human opponents, but against spiritual opponents and illicit four categories, uh, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places in Ephesians 6. So there is a spiritual opposition that has been set in force because of the first man and woman's sin. And because of that, our enemy has a legal right to be here. Not a moral right, but at least a legal right. And Jesus said, the thief doesn't come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief. 
So here's the way it works in your personal life. It also works in nations. It also works in families. If you'll honor God and do what he says and obey him, you'll inherit blessing. And what that does is when you honor God, obey him, and obey his word, the darkness that covers this planet like a canopy, it's moved away from you. And there's a, there's, there's a light from heaven that shines down on you and blesses everything you set your hand to do. How many hear me? But if you choose to walk in darkness, the absence of light, when you turn the lights off in this room, immediately there's darkness. And, and that's what happens and when... And when people don't obey the light from the gospel, the light from the Word of God, the light that the Holy Spirit bears on the Word in our personal lives, in our families, or in our nation, when we don't obey it, we turn the light off and the darkness comes in and envelops and that darkness brings curses with it. There's a cursing, not a blessing. And that's all throughout the Old Testament. That's also so through the New Testament. There's a personal application there. How many know if you start, stop walking in darkness and allow the light to penetrate your life, little by little you get freer and freer and freer and freer. How many have experienced that in your life? Well, it's the same way with the family. Uh, uh, men, I want to challenge you. Man up and be the man in your house. Man up and be the spiritual leader. Don't, don't look to your wife to lead the children. You lead them. Pray with them over the meals. Have a, have a family altar on occasion and, and pray with your children. Read, your, read the Bible to them. More than that, let them see the Bible be fleshed out in you and how you live and how you think and how you treat your spouse and how you treat them and your family and your neighbors. How many hear me? See, that's going to make a difference, right? And when you do that, you, you push darkness away. I didn't know anything about this. I was 18 years old when I came to Jesus. But, you know, just started doing what God said, being a doer of the Word, not just a hearer, not just going to church. But you know what? Uh, you know, God said, I want you to do this on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through Saturday, and then tank up again on Sunday and go after it again the next week. And when I, as I did that, the, the darkness began to move away. How many have found that to be true in your life? happens individually, it happens with families, and it also happens in nations. Our nation was founded on, a, on a, I call it a Judeo-Christian ethic. That means the Ten Commandments. How many hear me? Let me tell you, so, so I've got four points today. I'm going to make them hopefully fairly quickly. I always have more in the notes than I ever could get to. You can find my notes on victorychurchraleigh.com, and, and you can read down them as I'm going and see what I skip. But here we are. I've got four major points. The first one is God holds the church in a nation responsible for the sins of the nation. Well, that would just have a great response, and it is, isn't it? Hmm. Wait a minute, Pastor, you're telling me that what happens to my neighbor, what happens in the schools, what happens in the legislation, what happens with the senators and congressmen and the president, I'm responsible for? If you're a believer, yes. That's what I'm saying. You're responsible. And y'all, I'm responsible. Wow. So uh, the pulpit's responsible. In fact, I've got a quote here in my notes from Charles Finney, and he wrote an article to pastors um, called The Decay of Conscience, and it was published. Actually, this was published in the late 1800s. And uh, this article, Charles Finney was talking to pastor, and he said, Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits if immorality prevails in the land. The fault is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, 
the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press likes moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, and that's where we're at right now, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore the fact, my brethren, he says, but let us lay it to heart and to be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to moral, the morals of this nation. How many hear what he just said? Without morality, a nation cannot exist. A people group cannot maintain a cohesive structure. 1983, I've shared this many times. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was on staff at a very large church there. We had a Christian school, K-5 through 12th grade, and we would have... Uh, we would have uh, uh, convocations with, uh, with uh, high schoolers particularly and have guest speakers come in on occasion and speak to them. And it kind of uh, shocked me. I'd only been on staff at the church for not quite a year. And they had a man that had defected. You know, the Cold War was in force at the time. This is 1983. And uh, they had a man that had defected from the government of Russia that came to be guest speaker. at the school. And he wasn't even a Christian. Well, that turned my head, and you know, I didn't understand, you know, the nature of what, what the um, folk running the school were trying to do, but they were trying to make a point. But so I sat down in the back and listened to this man, and, and the, the thing that I've, I've brought with me to this day from his speech, and he said it with such utter passion that you could hear a pin drop in the, in the auditorium, and he said this as a defector from Russia. He said, if, if, and I didn't understand it, if you want to keep your nation, keep your morals. And then he said, the moment you lose your morals, you will lose your nation. We're living that today. Who's responsible? We are. Many years ago, over a dozen years ago, there's a change in the church world, particularly in America. The message of grace began to be exploited. And the idea, ideology of the Ten Commandments began to be removed even from church preaching and teaching in the name of of the grace of God. That's where we made the error. The Ten Commandments are not made for us to live, for believers to live by. We have the Ten Commandments written in our hearts. Yes or no? Romans 2 says we have the circumcision of the heart. The Ten Commandments, why did God have Moses go on top of Mount Sinai? And why did God write with his finger on a piece of stone and engrave it with ten moral laws for living, which we call the Ten Commands. Why? He gave those laws, those rules for human conduct, because God knew the wickedness of the human heart that were set on ourselves. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
David, Psalm 51, after he was caught in adultery with Bathsheba, he said, Behold, I was born in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. From the moment I was born, I'm away from God. The Ten Commandments have been given to us. The reason they've been given to us is to give a moral compass or a moral guide to a people group called human beings who have lost their morals because of sin. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, we know the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. The law is really not for me and you, it's for unbelievers. You've got his law in your heart. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Why do we have the Ten Commandments? In fact, I remember my Algebra 1, my Algebra 2 class, that particular teacher in high school, she had the Ten Commandments to my left on the wall between two big windows. We had, I mean, the ceilings of the room were probably 15, 16 feet high as an old building. And I would always sit in that class as I was smoking pot in between classes and look at those Ten Commandments. They said something to me. Now you can't. Now we're taking the Ten Commandments out of our public discourse. And, and, and if we could, we would erase them from every wall that they've been plastered on in Washington, D.C. And you wonder why we have problems. How many hear what I'm saying? No. The church is responsible. The first point is we are responsible to set the stage and the tone. And we, we as the church have lost and we let set aside our responsibilities when we lay down the law of God and stop preaching the gospel of the good news of forgiveness of sin to sinners. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You don't throw the Ten Commandments away. You use them for their intended purpose, and that is to bring conviction to the hard-hearted human. How many know that it brought conviction to you and brought you to your sin? But now everybody thinks that God loves them, and everybody thinks that because of God's love, we're all going to heaven because we're all wonderful people. And the Bible says opposite. God does love us. No, no. For God so loved the world, but he, he loved the world that he gave his only son. See, God so loved the world that he had to bring us out of our sin. And God brings us out of our sin by, by giving us his law, his commands, his statutes, his ordinances, the Ten Commandments. And they produce conviction of sin. And when the human heart is convicted of sin and when we yield our will to, to God through His Son Jesus, we can be born again and our lives are transformed. And that's the problem today. We have a lot of people attending church, a lot of people nodding to God, and a lot of people clapping and enjoying the praise and worship. But how many of those people are actually born again? Because when you're born again, your lifestyle changes. How many had that happen to you? So the first thing is we as the church are responsible. Second, the second point, there is a scheme to remove our freedoms and have America join a global government. Got one person, two, three, shaking their heads. You're listening on audio. No, there, there is a scheme. There is a diabolical scheme 
to have a whole world combined into a world government. Now, the Bible talks about that. I'm on the very last, uh, I'm the last portion of chapter 21, book of Revelation. I've taught verse by verse. It's taken me almost 30 hours to do so. It's taken a lot of time. I'm almost done. Uh, in fact, uh, not this Wednesday, the following. We will start back up and be done pretty soon. But if you go to the book of Revelation, you're very aware that this man uh, termed uh, Antichrist, man of lawlessness, man of sin, few adjectives to describe him, is going to rise up just before the return of Jesus, and he's going to lead the world into uh, uh, a one-world ideology of economics and a, a one-world ideology of global lawful law control. It'll really be a regime of lawlessness. So anybody who has a standard will not be looked up to they'll look, be looked down upon and will uh, be persecuted seriously for, for the laws that they think should be normal. Did you hear what I just said? Now, my belief system is that not every nation has to yield to the Antichrist. I know the scriptures say the whole world will be under his tutelage and under his regime, but you got to understand that that may be, that word may be an hyperbole. The whole world meaning the whole world in the Middle East, it could mean that. Or it could encompass other nations. My personal belief system is not every nation is going to be a part of that one world ideological system controlled by the man the Bible calls Antichrist. The world won't call him that. He'll just be a ruler from somewhere in the Middle East. But he will have his thumb on, on the control of the nations of the world. How many know whoever controls the money controls the world? How many know there's been a scheme for a long time? For a few generations now, by just a few people worldwide who were seeking to control every single nation on earth. Now, you may not know that if all you do is listen to the evening news. But if you read and, are, and read broadly and listen broadly and think widely and are not just a sheep going to the slaughter, you understand there's a diabolical scheme. And there's a scheme to take our nation that was based on freedom of choice, a, a nation that was based on the Ten Commandments, a nation that was based on laws that work, laws that are fair, laws that are equitable. And they're seeking to take our nation and remove it from our Constitution and enable us to, to join a global scheme, a global government. How many, do you want that? If you want that, my encouragement uh, pack your bags and move to another nation. But I have to tell you, there's a lot of people that want that. And uh, so as I get into what I'm about to say, there's one encouragement, and I've said this many times. My encouragement, if all you do is listen to the evening news, you are going to be deceived and deeply deceived. If all you listen to is the mainstream media, y'all, they have been bought now, this may be news to some people. I understand. i got to be careful here because I could drown you with information. I know I have, and I don't want to do that. But I, I, I've read enough. Listen, I don't read just one thing. I read this way. I read things I don't like to read. I, read, I, I listen to people I don't want to hear. I want to hear what they're saying. Why do I do that? I want to be balanced. I, I want to hear the whole counsel, not just a partial and piecemeal. How many hear me? So if you, you expect the mainstream media in America to give you all of the facts, guess what they're doing? They're leading you as a lamb to the slaughter. Because the ideology behind most media outlets today is an ideology of global governance. 
and an ideology that pushes us away from the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the things that afford you freedoms in this nation. How many hear me? Now, if you don't think so, just go listen to it a little bit. Just go listen. My encouragement, if you want information, my email, you can email me at info at victorychurchraleigh.com and I will respond to you. Say, well, well, where do you get your information? I get information from all kinds of sources. And now the bigger problem today is that we have such, uh, that we have such censorship that things that need to be said cannot be said. And if you don't, and if you don't toe the line uh, that somebody who's paying evidently uh, entities, millions and millions, maybe billions of dollars to say certain things. If you don't say it that way, you can't be listened to. They won't, they'll deplatform you. So welcome to the new world of Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram. If you don't say it right, they shut you down. Anybody experience that? Don't raise your hand. Say, Pastor, why are you talking this way? You're supposed to be preaching the Word. Well, you know the Word has to be applied to your daily life. God has given us a responsibility to keep the freedoms that we enjoy in America. And this is part of it. Uh, you got to understand there's a, there's a lot of deception around today. How many hear me? So here's my notes. For many years now, there's, there, uh, there are those with a communist and socialist agenda that have been seeking to take over America and move it to leave its constitutionally based government by the people and for the people and join a global governance. It's the spirit of Antichrist. So I wrote this in a blog last Thursday, and, um, and here's what I'm aware of, even with my blogs. Because I am who I am, because I preach what I preach, the algorithms won't let them go a long way. Because if you say certain words, they're, they're counted out. They're discounted. How many hear me? Uh, artificial intelligence does that automatically. It's working now. So I wrote this nonetheless last Thursday in my blog, The Land of the Free. And, and, and so I, it sounds negative to me, but this is what we're facing. We're going to get to the solution in a minute. Is that all right? The land of the free and the home of the brave is in huge crisis, a crisis of choosing darkness over light, curses, cursing over blessing. There are people with nefarious motives who are pushing agendas that the divide uh, the United States, they want to divide us spiritually by passing laws that keep us from assembling together and that create hate speech out of differences of opinion. How many hear what I just said? Politically, by spreading lies and half-truths about the issues we face as Americans. Financially, by introducing socialism and communism in the name of free money distribution. And by engineering crisis after crisis that closes small businesses and cuts out the middle class. How many hear what I'm saying? Morally, by introducing ridiculous ideologies that disregard the two birth genders that God gave us of male and female and replaces them with a list of mixed-up, pathetic ideas of bizarre human relationships that are immoral and family-destroying. Do you think our kids are mixed up in public schools? If we don't go, if we don't go to the parent-teacher association meetings and raise our hands and say we disagree with the curriculum, we have sinned a great sin. If your children are in public school and you expect the public schools to pr protect them and give them something worthwhile to live for, that day is gone. 
We have lost it, my friends. That's the reason we're building that building over there. I intend to put everything, everything God gives in me into these children. Even the, even the children that, that we take care of that are babies and one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds, you can show them love, you can show them compassion, you can show them care, you can show them what it means to love and be kind and be nice and be sweet. How many hear me? Anyway, I didn't mean to preach, but here we go. Racially, by fostering a dialogue of anger, deception designed to pit one race against another, and by introducing, listen to this, curriculum in our schools that lies about the reasons our country was founded. That's being introduced in, in state after state after state. And thankfully, we have governors that are rising up and people that are rising up and parents that are rising up and saying, you're not putting that filth in my child's mind. How many hear me? Anyway. And blames our forefathers for our current media-driven racial, racial issues. Historically, so that the foundations of our faith, valor, integrity are removed from public life by removing the statues of those who helped found this great land. If you think it's a good idea to tear down the statues of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and some of the generals in the in the. Uh, uh, gallant fights that we have had and those that have formed the public address if you think it's a good idea think again there are those that want to remove the history of this nation from us why do they want to do that because they don't want you to honor the constitution that made you free they want to give you another set of rules it's called the global governance socially They've engineered so that we accuse, blame, gossip, lie instead of loving, believing the best, encouraging, supporting, defending, and helping each other. Friends, we're in deep trouble. How many hear me? So those are the problems that we have, and I could go on and on. You know, the Supreme Court, one of the biggest blows, to, in my opinion, uh, towards God in our nation was the end of June 2015 when the Supreme Court of the United States of America legislated from the bench that same-sex marriage is equal to heterosexual marriage. When we did that, we slapped God in the face. And we said, leave us alone. Uh, we don't care what you think about human relationships. We're not interested in your moral way of living. We want to do what we want to do, and you leave us alone. That's what we did. And here recently, here recently, uh, the Supreme Court has... Uh, has also ruled that gender orientation and transgender rights are equal to the rights afforded to the male and female genders. And my friends, that will do nothing but separate us, divide us, and hinder us in every possible way. And you can see it. You can read about it every day in the news. How I many hear me? We've taken thousands of years of human relationship with a stroke of, of a pen legislated what we want and what we value regardless of what God thinks and says. That's what we've done. We've aborted uh, 63 million babies since 1963, uh, proving that we love sex more than the life it creates. I to say these things. That is a hedonistic, self-absorbed, Self-centered culture. That's where we are. You say, well, God's allowing this. You know, God allows you to do He didn't make you tie. He didn't make you come to church. 
God doesn't force you to quit looking at pornography and lusting. God doesn't force you to quit drinking. Talking about people and gossiping unless you do what you want to do. Is that true? God lets nations do what they want to do. And it's all as though there are times he just says, I'm stepping aside. Now you want to do what you want to do? Fine. Have it your way. What he does. Reminds me of Isaiah 53, 6. We have turned everyone to his own way. The rest of that verse is what Jesus did for us. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Number three, God set in motion both blessing and cursing. A nation chooses which one it gets. I don't want to say what I'm about to say. I don't think there's a way that we can avoid judgment as a nation. If that doesn't bother you, you don't have a heart for this country. I don't like to say it. I've prayed. Something's coming. God has hid it from me and anybody I talk to. He won't tell them what it is. Something's coming that will displace our way of life. I don't know what that something is. In A.B. Simpson, a wonderful writer, I've heard it said this so many times, the veil that hides our future is woven by the hand of mercy. Sometimes God won't let you know something's coming because you'll worry about it too much. God will take care of you. But it's not going to be an easy thing. Listen to Proverbs 1. I called to you over and over. And this is to people who heard him but refused to listen to God. And that's where America is today. Still you refuse to come to me. I've pleaded with you again and again. This is Passion Translation, Proverbs 1, 24 through 33. I've pleaded with you again and again. You've turned a deaf ear to my voice because you've laughed at my counsel and have insisted on continuing in your stubbornness. Is that America today? Yeah. I will laugh when your calamity comes and will turn away from you at the time of your disaster. Make a joke of my advice, will you? Then I'll make a joke out of you. When the storm clouds of terror gather over your head, when the dread and distress consume you, and your catastrophe comes like a hurricane. You will cry out to me, but I won't answer. Then it'll be too late to expect my help. When desperation drives you to search for me, I will be nowhere to be found. Because you have turned up your nose at me and closed your eyes to the facts and refused to worship me in awe, because you scoffed at my wise counsel and laughed at my correction, now you'll eat the bitter fruit of your own ways. You've made your own bed, now lie in it. So how do you like it? Like that. Like an idiot, you've turned away from me and chosen destruction instead. Your self-satisfied smugness will kill you. The one who always listens to me will live undisturbed in heavenly peace, free from fear, confident, uh, courageous. You will rest unafraid and sheltered from the storms of life. Let me say before I go further, I was reading, this is uh, 30 one years ago, I was reading a, a really hard-to-read book on end times by J. Dwight Pentecost. And I was reading about the book of Daniel. And I was reading about the Babylonian captivity that the Old Testament people of God 
uh, endured. They disobeyed God's commands. They worshiped false gods, actually brought false gods into the Jewish temple and worshiped false gods right there where God's presence was supposed to be. God said, I had enough. Drove, driven, uh, they were driven by their enemies away from their land into Babylon, and they stayed there 70 years. I was reading that. And, I had an in, and, and when I read it, I was reading about Daniel. I was reading about, of course, you know, you read the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the three Hebrew children, we call them. You, you see where God protected them in the flame. You see where God protected Daniel from the lion's jaw and protected him all of his life. But then the thing dawned on me, and, and it, I, was, I was 32 years old when I, saw this, and I can't tell you how deeply it bothered me. For the first time in my life, I had an inward knowing. If my nation doesn't obey God, and because of our disobedient living, if judgment comes and our enemies overtake us, I'll be part of that. I'll be part of the ones that are overtaken. I'll be involved in that. I won't be spared from that. Where my nation goes, I will go. Daniel was part of that nation. Of Israel. Daniel went into captivity with the rest of his friends. Did you hear me? It was a, a, quite an awakening for me as a young man. And I saw that if our nation doesn't turn around, the disasters that will be allowed, I'll be a part of that. But somehow God will make a way. God will provide for me, my family, my children, and he will be the light, my light in the middle of the darkness. And that's the encouragement I have for you. How many hear me? My friends, when the nation, when judgment comes on the nation, we'll be part of that. God will make a way. That's why I just want to encourage you, now is the time to pray. We've been found in the balances. We've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Hebrews 4, 6. The prophet Hosea prophesied during a time where Israel had left God. They did their own thing, much like America today. We've left the foundations that made us great. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord brought charges against you, saying, There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. Now, did you notice what he said? There's no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. If there's no knowledge of God in America, whose responsibility is it? It's mine. It's yours. Right? You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That's why your land's in mourning. And everyone is wasting away. When you sin, the land mourns. It doesn't yield the fruit that it once did. The, the, the elements of nature actually begin to turn against the inhabitants when they choose to defy God. That's what he's saying. Even the wild, that's what he says, even the wild animals. The birds of the sky, the fish of the sea are disappearing. It affects nature when the inhabitants defy God and, and clench a brazen fist at his face. Don't point your finger at someone else, the prophet says, and try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. It, it's, it's the people who carry, who carry on the religious life of the nation that are responsible. That's what he's saying. So you will stumble in broad daylight and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. There are those that are saying, the greatest days are ahead. Friends, judgment's ahead. I will, restore, I will destroy Israel, your mother. 
He's talking about Israel being the place where they grew up, the, great, the place where they were nurtured. They'll be taken away from it. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since your priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priest. Since you've forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. I'm old enough now. I have eight grandchildren. I have four children. I've lived a blessed life. I've lived and been privileged to live, and many of you too. And many of you have immigrants. We're privileged to live in the greatest nation on earth, the freest nation on earth. And now we've been weighed in the balances and found wanting and in need. And my friends, judgment is at the door. Laugh at me, scoff at me. I know what I feel on the inside. It's not a nice thing to talk about. But if I didn't say these things, I'd be disobeying God. And I'd rather obey him than have you smile at me. How many hear me? Four ways as I close you can make a difference. Number one, be a light to others. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How, do you, how, how can you be a light? Use your words to bless and encourage instead of gossip, defame, and curse. How many hear me? That's how you can. Be unselfish with your time, with your talents, with yourself, with your money. Choose sexual purity. And not the stuff that, that those who think they know more than God are, are trying to stuff down the throats of our children and our teenagers and our college-age children. How many hear me? Be truthful. Tell the truth. Treat each other the way you want to be treated. Whatever happened to the golden rule? Do to others what you would have them do to you. I've often said you want to see what a populace is like? Go drive around in their traffic on the streets. And you want to know what I see in America today? Anywhere I travel, it's dog eat dog. Get out of my way. I'm going to run you down. I'm going to beat my horn at you. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I want you to move out my way and leave me alone. I don't care what the law says. And my friends, that's the way our nation has become. We have to own it as believers. Secondly, we can pray for our nation. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceable and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Don't forget when this was written, they had Roman emperors. Nero was schizophrenic. Nero had a 14-year-old young man castrated. He became his lover. This is the kind of government they had. And you could go on and on with the Roman emperors who were just vile, who were set on themselves. And yet here we have the verbiage from Scripture anointed by the Holy Ghost that tells us to pray for governments even when corrupt people are in charge. Think about that. One thing I've been praying for years, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make, reveal the counsels of the heart. I've prayed over our government for years now. Lord, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and 
make manifest the counsels of the hearts of those who say they help govern this great nation. How many hear me? Number three, live, away, live in a way that makes Jesus interesting to those who see you. The Passion Translation, 1 Peter 3, 15, but give reverent honor in your hearts to the anointed one and treat him as the holy master of your lives. And if anyone asks about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith with gentleness and respect. Maintain a clear conscience so that those who slander you for living a pure life in Christ will have to lie about you. And will be ashamed because of their slander. For it's better to suffer for doing good if it's in God's plan than for doing evil. Fourthly, lastly, tell people what Jesus has done for you. That which we have seen. That which we have heard. John said in 1 John 1, 3, we declare to you. The best testimony you have is what Jesus did to clean up your own life. And if you ask God, he will put you in the context of people and will open up conversations for you to share the gospel with the people that you come in contact with. When he does that, ask God for boldness. And you know what? He will. And you know what happens if we'll do those things? We will change this nation one heart at a time. You turn the lights off in here and just turn on the little light in your, and turn on the little light in your phone. You know, eventually you'd see a bunch of lights in here and it would light up the room. And that's what it's going to take for our nation to change. You say, I can do nothing because it's so big. No, no, no. You do what you should do. Honor God. Obey Him. Pray for our nation. Be an example of Jesus and be a witness for Jesus. And you know what? God can do something amazing. How many believe that? We're going to stop right now. I'm stopping right now. I'm going to change what we do. This is the conclusion of our service. There are four things that are about to happen. I want all of you to be involved in that. We've got a two-minute video to show. After the video, uh, we're going to pledge allegiance to the flag. Now, you say, why are you doing that in church? Because we need to. Because if we don't do this now, our children will never do it. And they will be bound by communism and socialism. Is that what you want? Huh? In just a moment, first-class petty officer retired. Solomon Bowen's going to bring the flag down. Uh, we're we're going to stand up in just a moment. When he brings the flag down, nobody say anything. It's a solemn time. You're supposed to be very quiet. Is that okay? That flag, you say, why, why are you pledging allegiance to the flag? Well, it's not a political statement. Let me say that again. It's not a political statement. The flag is not... A political statement. I walk every day in my neighborhood, two miles, sometimes three, and I look at all the houses. You go to where I live, there's a big, great, big American flag sticking on my front porch. Well, that, that shows who you are. No, it shows that I believe in freedom. And I'm not afraid to express what I believe. Even if you disagree and don't like it, that flag is not a Democratic flag. It's not a Republican flag. It's not a Libertarian flag. It's a flag that represents an idea. What kind of idea? It represents our Constitution. The flag represents the Bill of Rights that we have that give us, that give us the legal right to live free. Did you hear what I just said? Mighty quiet. It's not a political statement. It stands for one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all.
You say, well, that ain't happening right now. Well, that's the ideal, and that's why we need to pray and stand our ground. The colors of the flag. Red represents hardiness and valor. It represents those who sometimes gave up their lifeblood so you can breathe free. Go to your favorite, favorite restaurant in the morning and eat your eggs and bacon and toast. White represents signifies purity and innocence. Blue signifies vigilance, perseverance, justice. Have we gotten away from that? In every possible way. But somebody's got to hold it up and say that's the standard. How many know the flag represents a standard? You say we're not living it. That's the standard. Go back to it. How many hear me? The stripes represent the 13 original colonies. It's according to how old you are and what schools you went to. But the founders of this nation came here to be able to express religious freedom. And you're being sold a bill of goods if you think otherwise.